There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. He's me singing as I go. Uh, hey, this is not Psalm number 73. <laughs> been a lot of Psalms on Sunday night since I got here, isn't it? Uh, it's been a lot of Psalms. Brianna was even telling me about a week ago how you know, the Psalms have been really helpful just to see the, the regular structure that David gives, crying out for help, going through some type of trial or dealing with sin, but coming to the Lord still, finding his hope through the darkness at the end of almost every Psalm. They kind of repeat that theme. Uh, and so they've been a little maybe too repetitive. <laughs> I don't know if you feel that. I mean, there's a lot of variety. There's different types of psalms like we talked about, those joyful ones. That are more, And then there's those that are more focused on lament. And there's others that are more focused on the kingly nature of Christ, those king's psalms and the, the psalms of adoration. We, we've looked at all of these different types of psalms. And here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So we were halfway through. Why did we stop? Um, I was kind of thinking we might take a break anyway, and I didn't know if that was me or the Holy Spirit, and I think I began to realize that part of my goal was just to get through the Psalms rather than to give you the Bible. So I wanted to take a break. You know, I, I thought, man, it's going to be amazing. If we can get through all 150, that's going to be like the prize, you know, thing I've ever done at Main Street. To get, man, what, who... who but I, I realized I was kind of going for the wrong reasons, just to be completely honest with you. So we're going to take a break. I'd love to get back to the Psalms. Uh, and and number, reason number two is because I want to give you more of the Bible. You know, uh, in Sunday mornings, J Joey said we've been in John for two years, kind of flop around a little bit on Wednesday nights with, with family table. Uh, and so having another consecutive book that we're going through, one like 1 Corinthians, I think it's just going to be helpful for you. I think it's going to be relevant and good and give you more things to pray about. Uh, and I hope you do read your Bibles on your own. But if you don't, uh, you will have more Bible knowledge as a result of going through 1 Corinthians, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, so let me just give you a little bit of context. We're just going to do verses 1 through 9 this evening um, and then get to sing a little bit. Uh, but let me intro by reading Acts chapter 18 because... Almost all of Paul's letters have a historical background to why he wrote them to the place that he wrote them in. And we see the background of Corinth taking place in Acts chapter 18. So let me know when I hear the pages stop flipping. Acts chapter 18. And I'll read it so you can understand what we're about to read even better. Acts chapter 18. This is the word of God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, 
and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. I love that. Occupied with the word. Testifying to the Jews that the Christ was risen. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God, contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So, tough beginnings, tough beginnings. Paul leaves Athens, goes to this large region called Achaia, inside of this large region, a city, a port town called Corinth, and he is there uh, making tents with all the other tent makers, and he is in the synagogue every week, reasoning with the Jews, occupied with the word, trying to persuade them of the Savior, Jesus Christ, that he was indeed the Messiah, week after week after week after week. They opposed him and reviled him. In Corinth. We don't want none of what you're selling, mister. Stop trying to persuade us of this Jesus. So he shook out his garments, and you just, just love it. He said, you know, he, he's not guilty. You're the ones who are guilty. Don't you tell me to leave. I, I, the blood is on your own head for not turning and repenting and believing in this gospel. I'm innocent. So if you're not going to listen, I'm going to preach to the Gentiles here in Corinth. So he kind of turns his attention to them, and there was a man who lived next to the synagogue named Titius, and he was a worshiper of God. He, he um, began to uh, worship with him, I assume, and then Crispus was a ruler of the synagogue. It's kind of funny how that worked out. He, got, he reached at least one of the Jews in his family anyway, Crispus, and uh, his entire household. They believed and were baptized, and so the Lord basically says, press on, Paul. I've got more that I want you to save. I know it seems like there's no work here right now, but and it might even take you a year and six months teaching the Word of God, but I've got people of my fold that you need to tell Jesus to. You've got to go get them. So uh, eventually, as he's working for a year and a half um, in Corinth, 
there's a new proconsul named Gallio, and the Jews, through his leadership, make this big attack on Paul, saying, hey, you got to do something about this. This is contrary to the law. Paul stands up for himself, and I really want to point out to you one person from the end of that story there, and that's in verse 17. Paul kind of made his case and got out of there. But Sosthenes, no context, no idea who he is, but he well, it says the ruler of the synagogue. Other than that, we don't know how, what his relationship to Paul was. Beat, they beat him in front of the tribunal, and Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Okay, so hold that in your minds, and now look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hard beginnings. Paul was there for maybe two years. It's been about two years since he left, and he's now writing this letter on his third missionary journey, uh, somewhere in Asia most likely, writing uh, to the Corinthians that he loved and missed. He had two years with them to teach the word to them, to train them, making tents by night, seeking both Jew and Gentile, saving Crispus and all of his household, worshiping with Titus, Justice, and, and then this guy Sosthenes at the end of the story comes in and basically takes Paul's beating for him, almost like a picture of Jesus. And now, who do we have writing this letter? Verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Sosthenes. Sosthenes. Only two places he's mentioned in the New Testament. Evidently, this was a brother who went on from Corinth with Paul to continue on in the missionary journey, was not only content to take a beating for Paul, but was willing to even go to the uttermost parts of the earth with Paul, preaching the gospel. So now here they are writing this letter to their beloved town, Sosthenes' hometown, uh, to, to, to write to them about many different things. Um, as we go through 1 Corinthians, uh, you'll see a lot of different themes in this book. Uh, you can kind of see the main theme in verse 10 of chapter 1. Just to give you a little bit more context, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Okay? So if you could give a thesis, an opening little letter, this is why I'm writing this, here it is. I really want you guys, me and Sosthenes, we really want you guys to agree. We really want you guys to get along. We really want you guys to be of the same mind and of the same judgment. We don't want any divisions among you. You must be united. Their problem was constant division. Constant division. This is a tough book. You guys wait till we get to chapter 5 won't take that long. This is a tough book. There's a lot of big issues that are so relevant for the church today. Uh, and, and, you know, I was thinking about this earlier just today. Uh, before this, Paul was in the town of Thessalonica. He wrote a letter called First and Second Thessalonians, right? So he was only with those guys a few months. And what is the content of First and Second Thessalonians? Don't be afraid. Your, your brothers who have died for all of that persecution, you know, they're, they're not truly dead. They're only asleep in the Lord. They, they will rise again. The Lord is coming back, and He will claim His own. And when you'll see Him, you'll be made like Him. And he's going to come and restore. They, after Paul leaving, 
looked inward to fear, right? And so they needed encouragement in their faith. After two years of training these Corinthians, way more time than the Thessalonians had, they got puffed up. They thought, we don't need Paul anymore. We, we got the single member complex I've talked about from chapter 12, right? They're kind of doing their own thing now. Paul got us going. We can, we can take care of the rest. We have all these divisions breaking out over so many different things. Idolatry, heresy, sexual immorality, over and over and over again. These hot topic issues that are so hard to deal with that nobody wants to talk about. And if anybody would have fallen prey to this, you thought it would be the new believers who had less time to train with Paul, like the Thessalonians. But no, be careful. He even says that knowledge puffs up family. Knowledge puffs up. And so they have more time with Paul, but gee, they are really missing the mark. So um, that's enough for introduction. How about that? Let's read it now. Verse 1 through verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that is God's Word. Let's kind of work through this just verse by verse and we'll kind of ask some questions as we go. First of all, we've got the authors, Paul and Sosthenes. This is Paul's famous opening bid here. Paul called by the will of God to be what? An apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul's ministry was not of his own flesh. Paul had no desire of his own own will to go to Corinth and to preach the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. He was called by the very will of God, and it controlled him. And by the way, you know, he, I, I like to think him as the one who, he should have been Matthias, right? When they cast lots for who would replace Judas, they got uh, Matthias in there for that 13th, you know, the 12th disciple to replace Judas. But, you know, I think that was kind of foreshadowing Paul, who would be blinded on the road, and the Lord would reveal himself to him, and then have this radical transformation from a persecutor of the church to a believer in Christ and a missionary for the church uh, to preach to not only the Jew but to the Gentile as well, making him not only a disciple but an apostle, someone who had seen Jesus Christ and had been commanded by Jesus Christ to go and do his work, who had been given authority as an apostle for this work which sets him apart as a unique individual, someone who knew Jesus personally and was charged by him with authority to go and start these churches across the nations. 
And then with his brother, Sosthenes, who I told you, went with him, apparently called by the same will of God to help Paul in this missionary journey. Verse 2, who is he writing to? To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul's letters are not written to you as an individual, right? Paul's letters are not written to me in my quiet time. They are written to the church of God. These would have been read. I mean, you guys know a little bit of history, right? These, these would have been, uh, we have a new letter from Paul, you know, and they would have read it before their whole church. This was a group of people who were believers that Paul, many of them, came to faith while he was there and began to believe, and, and this church was formed. They had leaders. They had pastors. They had members. They took the Lord's Supper together. They had baptisms. They met in people's homes like this guy named Titus. Right? They, they were a church in Corinth. That is who he's writing to. Now, of course, don't mishear me. Obviously, we get a blessing from the Word of God today. He's still talking to the church of God. He's talking to Main Street as well. And he is talking to us when we open our Bible and let him speak. Don't mishear me, okay? But keeping it in its original context so we can get the best idea out of it, the truth from it. He's talking to the church of God that is in Corinth to whom? to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing about Corinthians. He opens the book saying, you guys, sanctified, I love you, I miss you, uh, you're, I, I thank God for you, me and Sosthenes miss you, that's why we're writing right now, we, we love you, and then he spends 15 chapters almost tearing them a new one. You guys are a mess. You're sanctified in Jesus Christ, but geez, right? I mean, this is, uh, he, he actually writes four letters. We only have two of them. We have a, technically, this is 2 Corinthians that we're in right now. He wrote, he write a, wrote a first letter called the severe letter. He, he says that later. This isn't the severe one. There was a severe one that went missing at some point. And uh, he writes in 2 Corinthians relating to another letter that we don't have, a difficult letter that was the last one that we don't have. Uh, so we only have the Lord, you know, sustained these two, uh, but they had a lot of problems. And yet, how does he address them? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Go home and read chapter 5 and then go back and read sanctified in Christ Jesus. Jeez. Paul has such a pastoral heart for these people, a brotherly heart for these people, and he gets the gospel right. Sanctification is an ongoing process in which God grows us into the faith and knowledge of Jesus. Justification happens the moment we are saved, the moment we believe on the gospel and, and turn and, and have Him creating us a new life, a new heart. That's justification, and you can't be any more justified than you are right now. That happened the day you were saved, okay? Sanctification happens ongoing, but yet He uses it in a past tense here to those sanctified. In Christ Jesus. If you're sanctified, you're perfect, you're holy, you're set apart. That's like saying you're godlike. You're, you're, you're able to stand before God and not die. You're sanctified. How can he say that? And I think his meaning here is that you're as good as sanctified because you're justified. 
I know that you heard the gospel. I know that you believed the gospel. And when Jesus comes back, you will be fully sanctified. And not only you, but all those who are called in, in every place to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our Lord. Let me ask a question here before I go any further. Do you feel the freedom of a future sanctification? That no matter how you lived your life today, you're going to be just as sanctified when you meet Jesus face to face. And no matter how you lived your life today, I, I can say, brother or sister, you're as good as sanctified in Jesus Christ. He stands before you as that holy covering. And when the Father sees you, He's going to say, that's my beloved, my perfect child, my set-apart holy one. Do you live in the freedom of that? Or are you constantly bogged down with trying to make God happy or you might not be sanctified? That's not how it works. You're as good as sanctified in Christ Jesus. And let me ask a follow-up. Do you give others that same freedom? Ooh. How did they spend their time today? Who, who been at church lately and who ain't? If you believe in the gospel, you're as good as sanctified. If Paul can say that about this messy crew, we should be able to say that about each other, I hope. And not only them, as I said, but all of the church, anybody who calls on the name of Jesus. I need to get moving here. Uh, you know, we've been meeting with another church a little bit next door, Living Word. Uh, and I went just uh, the Thursday before Easter and got to hear Pastor Bobby preach for the first time. And I tell you, some of his members, man, they're just the sweetest folks I've ever met. I found out one of them today, Bill Littlejohn, if you remember him, I love to hear that guy pray. If you were here, I mean, you might, I mean, he can just, he just quotes scripture like he's bleeding scripture. It just comes out of him. And, and he, um, he, he uh, goes to the senior center and hangs out with Molly. And I just found out that, that they knew each other this morning. Molly was telling me about that. We need the type of humility that Paul suggests here that we can say, their Lord is our Lord. Their God is our God. They're just as sanctified as we are. The church that was meeting in Titus's house, the church that was meeting in Solomon's portico, the church that was meeting over in the backyard of the synagogue, they're just as sanctified as we are if they believe in the gospel. I'm not talking about the churches who deny the gospel of Jesus Christ or, you know, sort of secretly do it by adding things onto it or taking things away from it. I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about the people who are sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the type of humility to worship with those folks as if, uh, that is what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back and sanctifies all of us, okay? So he says, verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, his, his famous blessing that he gives. Grace meaning undeserved favor and peace meaning wholeness, fullness, deep satisfaction in Jesus. I'm writing this to you that you might have undeserved favor from God and unbelievable wholeness and fullness in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul did in his daily time. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Just stopping right there, and again, we need to like go through half this book and then come back. Because for him to say that is almost mind-blowing. 
he thanks God always because of the grace of God that was given to these Corinthians? You know, I got to thinking about that, and, and here's my, my question for us. When was the last time you thanked God for the grace he gave to someone else? We thank him, I think, pretty well, decently at least, for the grace he gives us. When was the last time you just thanked God by yourself, without them knowing about it, not praying with them, just by yourself? Lord, thank you. I'm talking about the people you're sitting beside right now. I'm not, you're getting very real here, right? When was the last time you thanked God? Lord, thank you for, for giving Shelly grace this week. Thank you for giving Mariana grace this week. Thank you for giving Margaret grace this week. And again, grace is that unmerited favor. It's grace that saves. We shouldn't be looking to thank God for personalities, thank the Lord, or uh, thanking God for uh, other fleshly details, uh, but we're thanking God for the very specific ways that He uses His own glory to bring a person to a place of humility that they need and have accepted undeserved favor from God. When was the last time you just thanked the Lord for that, for someone else? Man, I think that needs to be part of our, our prayer time, for sure. I try to do it every week for you guys, but that's just because I'm a pastor. I don't know that that's a normal thing, but I do try to pray for you by name, and I, I hope that you're doing that for each other as well. And what happened when he was there? Well, in every way they were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, says in verse 6. He recalls his time there. They, they learned. They grew in that year and a half to two year period. They understood the gospel. They were enriched in knowledge and speech. They, they learned how to articulate the gospel to other people, to, to, to learn and grow and study. They, they got pretty good at being Christians, in other words. And it says in verse 6, so much so that the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. It wasn't just me, like everybody knew it. It was confirmed. People saw you living out the gospel every single day. And so our question is, how have others been confirming your testimony? How have others been looking at your life and saying, that brother or that sister gets the gospel? That brother or that sister has been enriched in wisdom and knowledge and speech because they know Jesus. Are people saying that about you? Are people saying that about us? I think it could be a concern for us if we have no one in our life who is judging the fruit of our spiritual living as truly saved. There was a confirmation that took place. And that is a good gift that God has given us through the church that brothers and sisters can come alongside us and say, I see fruit in your life and I love it. Paul saw it and he's reminding them of it. I saw fruit in your life and I love it. Not just me, but everybody. We all saw fruit as you grew in the gospel. Uh, verse 7, so much so that you were not, are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, because they had the gospel and because they were living out the gospel, he says, to the extent that they didn't lack anything as they waited for the Lord. We say all the time that the gospel is enough. 
And we say amen every time somebody says the gospel is enough. Oh, but it would be the case that we believed the gospel was enough to the point that we believed we weren't lacking anything because we had the gospel. One of my favorite songs, I think it's written by Sovereign Grace, calls, it's called All I Have is Christ. That's the whole chorus. Alleluia, all I have is Christ. Alleluia, all I have is Christ. Alleluia, Jesus is my life. It's everything or nothing, right? If Christ is truly our everything, then we lack nothing. When Jesus comes back and he says, what do you got? We're going to say, we got you. That's why we're sealed. That's why we're as good as sanctified. We're not lacking anything else. He's not going to ask for anything else in the day of his return, in the day of his revealing. He's going to say, is the Holy Spirit in you? If you believed on the gospel, do you know me? He's not going to ask for anything that we lack. Oh, that we would live our lives not griping about unmet desires or things that we don't have that we think we need. The gospel is truly enough. Yes, we need bread. Yes, we need water. But man shall not live alone. Live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 8, because Jesus is going to sustain us and call them guiltless in that day. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. God is faithful. And this is what empowers Paul and Sosthenes to write this letter. Because if God weren't faithful, these Corinthians would have no hope. If our God weren't faithful, these people at Main Street would have no hope. Man, church is messy, right? We are going to go through divisions. Unfortunately, it's unavoidable sometimes. We need to not be so naive to think that hard things aren't going to come. We are going to hurt each other's feelings. We are going to sin. We are going to make Jesus go back to the cross all over and over and over again by the way we live our lives. There's a reason he stands interceding for our sins daily. Because we mess up daily. Right? And praise God that he's told Peter, you don't need your whole body washed, you just need your feet. <laughs> Let me wash your feet every day. And so he does for us because our God is faithful. He sustains us to the end and will one day call us guiltless, even with the mess that we are. And that's unbelievable. He really loves his bride, y'all. And I hope you see that in the book of 1 Corinthians. Because Jesus sustains and because God is faithful, True believers will be kept in the fellowship of Christ and will one day be made guiltless. Which means we believe in permanent salvation. Not because we keep it, but because Jesus keeps it. I don't know how you can argue with verses 8 and 9. Uh, he keeps us. And he's one day going to call us guiltless. Pure. Not just as good as sanctified, but actually sanctified. That's awesome. I'm really excited to go through the rest of this book with you. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up tonight so we can sing a few songs. But does anybody have any thoughts about what we just read and what we just talked about? Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. 
I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.